If you're experiencing any type of vaginal or bladder dysfunctions, then you're gonna to wanna to watch today's video because I'm interviewing Dr. Teresa Irwin, a board certified female pelvic medicine and reconstructive surgeon. That's coming up right now. Welcome to the show, Dr. Irwin. I'm really happy to have you here. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm very honored that you invited me. Thank you. I'd love you to start with an explanation of exactly what you do and how you help women. Well, my official title is female pelvic medicine and reconstructive surgeon, which is a mouthful, as you can imagine. We used to be called urogynecologist, but most of us really end up going by that because it's a little more understandable. But I, as a branch of my uh, current job, I took on a different name. So I call myself the vaginecologist. And the reason that even came up is for that very reason, because no one really knows what FPMRS is or urogynecologist. And one day when our son was in high school, uh, he was in a group of, of buddies and, and they're talking about their families. And it's like, one of them says, what does your mom do for a living? And he's like 15, 16 years old. And he hears me talking about vaginas all day long. So he's like, uh, vaginocology. So when he told me that story, I thought, oh my God, you know, no one will ever have to question what I do. Cause it tells you right there. So yes, I take care of things of the vagina problems such as leaking bladders, leaking bowel, because they all sit behind and, and above the, the uh, vagina and they can sag into there. So sagging vaginas or prolapse, uh, constipation, uh, incontinence of the bowel. Well, I said that leaking uh, bowel, sexual dysfunction and pelvic pain. So it's five main categories. So anyway, that's, I know long extended <laughs> answer. <laughs> no, I love that. And I think it's incredible. And I, you know, as you were talking, I'm like, first of all, I love the name vaginecologist. I think that's brilliant. <laughs> and you're absolutely right. It really explains exactly what you do and nobody has to question it. So <laughs> at Morpheus, we talk to women in perimenopause and menopause. And one of the things that comes up a lot is the whole reproductive area, the vaginal area, vaginal dryness, uh, you know, bladder, you know, we get UTIs or it's just really dry and just all these issues. Why when we get into perimenopause and menopause, why do things start to kind of, you know, what would be the word? I don't want to say go in, you know, in a negative direction, but why do things start to happen where we become more aware of well. it? Yeah, it doesn't work as well. Things don't work as well. Well, it is primarily because of the significant reduction in hormones. So average age of menopause is 51.6 plus or minus two years in the United States. And that the reduction of hormones is not just estrogen, but it's progesterone, it's testosterone. Right. And so those hormonal functions are no longer optimal. So when it comes to vaginal dryness specifically, it's gonna be a, a reduction in estrogen itself. And because not only does the vagina have um, uh, estrogen receptors, so does the bladder and the urethra. They have a lot of estrogen receptors. As a matter of fact, whenever I go, I take a little telescope and look inside the bladder, I'll see um, a bunch of, it looks like there are lesions inside the bladder at the entry of it. And that is a sign that, that that patient is well estrogenized. So when they lack that layer, then you know they, they, they lack uh, estrogen production or at least a reduction of it. But anyway, because of the lack of estrogen, that means less collagen is being produced. So the tissue becomes uh, much thinner, uh, frail. They easily can break and tear. <clears throat> And as a matter of fact, because of those little micro tears that often can lead to bladder infections or uh, UTIs being the general term for urinary tract infection, 
Uh, so yes, it's it's that break, that uh, thinning of the tissues, lack of uh, hormone production leading to lack, you know, reduction in collagen. So hmm. thank you for that explanation. That's just for that part. I mean, there's lots of other things, but I, since you alluded to those two, that's what I wanted to address. <laughs> yeah. You know, I just, we find that women, when we, you know, many of us, when we get into perimenopause and menopause, it's such a change in our bodies, especially in our reproductive organs, or organs, right? Like our ovaries stop working the way they did. We know the adrenals take over. What are some tips that you could provide to women who are watching right now or listening on our podcast that you could say, okay, so here are some things you must absolutely do when you're in, in perimenopause and in menopause, something that can help them, you know, feel a little bit more positive or tips that can empower them so that they don't have to have some of the negative side effects. Sure. Well, we're going to go to basics and that goes, that, that can probably be the assumption for just about anything. And that's diet and exercise. Mm, love that. Without a doubt. Uh, so, you know, when it comes to diet, you know, being, trying to eat as much of a clean diet as possible. And that means, so if you're someone who has a lot of hot flashes, for example, then you don't want to consume things that are really hot or that can cause your heart to race. So caffeinated products, uh, spicy foods, cause they're, they're spicy and, and produce a lot of heat, um, or teas, things that are hot in nature, you know, soups and teas and coffee, et cetera. Now it's not, and, and then another uh, agent would be alcohol because it vasodilates your blood vessels that so makes you warmer. And I guess what I'm trying to tell you is to lead a boring life. Just kidding. Anyway, water, a lot of water. Uh, I generally recommend two to three liters a day. And there isn't really any scientific data that says you need to have 64 ounces, which is two liters. But we do know that all our, all our uh, body systems benefit from water. And what is, do you know what our largest organ is in our body? I would say the largest organ would either be the skin or now I'm thinking maybe fat. It's one of those. Because <laughs> yeah, depending on your fat. composition, <laughs> but, but skin, yes. And unfortunately, skin is the last organ that gets fed by water. All the other systems, the heart, the brain, the lungs, the, the liver, the kidneys, they get water first and then the skin gets it last. Same thing, vagina, because the vagina is skin. Uh -huh. So it's the last to, to get that supply. So you don't want to just have the bare minimum. You want to have a little bit more, more abundant amount of fluid in your system to feed those because that's going to lead to dryness. Um, and, and also you want the, the kidneys to be flushing toxins out and the liver to be flushing toxins out. So it helps to be very um, well lubricated with, with water. Now, the in terms of exercise, the reason for that is because when you have extra fat, now it's going to kind of sound uh, counterintuitive in a sense, but because fat actually is a producer of uh, estrogen, but the fat estrogen. So there's three kinds, E1, 2, and 3. And the fat cells produce E1. That's the one you really don't want to have too much around. So the patients that are obese and overweight actually tend to have a little bit less of the menopausal symptoms than women that are normal or, or, or lower weight than that. And uh, But there are ways that you can mitigate it. So going back to exercise, you know, not only do we want to keep our um, amount of fat down by being of normal weight, but you can be normal weight and still have a very high fat ratio. So exercising is going to build the muscle and reduce your fat to muscle ratio. So that's important there. Um, and then that, then you won't be so hot too. 
Um, so diet and exercise is almost always invariably going to be critical. Now there are some spices that actually are natural and very um, conducive and, and helpful for women. And in particular, turmeric. Turmeric actually uh, has been shown to help with anxiety and depression, which, you know, women in menopause, they have, they do this business just like PMS. There's a lot of mood fluctuations. So that'll stabilize moods a fair amount. What would you say the number one complaint is from women in this age group? Oh, definitely vaginal dryness. Yeah. That would be the first one. Um, and then mood swings, uh, low libido is a huge one. And, um, and, a lot of bladder dysfunction. Usually, so women, they go through these phases of what kind of bladder dysfunction they're going to have. So usually in, you know, like the late thirties to forties, it's stress urinary incontinence. So leaking when you cough and sneeze and jump and laugh and any kind of exertion, uh, including sex. Then as they get closer to age 60, they start to have more of the overactive bladder. So constantly having to go to the bathroom frequently or urgently, or even leaking when they get the signal and can't quite get to the bathroom in time. Mm, right. uh, so that, then later on, it becomes both. So that's kind of the progression. The reason that overactive becomes a little bit more is because of the thinning of the epithelium uh, of the skin of the, the, the vagina, the bladder, the urethra. And uh, so they either will have frequent bladder infections or just the overactive bladder itself or both. <laughs> Are there some tips that you can do? I know there's the pelvic floor therapist and pelvic floor exercises. Are there recommendations that you would have? So let's say in our 20s or 30s, actually more like 30s, I think you were saying in the 40s. Like I know myself after I had three vaginal births, you know, I would jump and like you were saying, the jumping, the laughing, like, oh my gosh, I used to, we used to joke around. My husband used to call me leaky because I would like always like pee my pants, right? Like even if I was <laughs> laughing too hard. But, you know, is there something that we can do to strengthen our bladder as we're entering into that phase of perimenopause and menopause? Well, it's funny that you asked me that because I'm on a big mission to get this education out to women um, so they can prevent these things. Because, I mean, I I have, and this is not tooting my horn, it's the fact that there's a big problem. But women will wait three, four, five, six months to get in to see me because it is so prominent, it's terrible. It doesn't need to be that way. There are a lot of things that we can do to prevent these issues. And so that's why I've really gotten on into social media. I used to avoid it like the plague up until about a year ago, a little over a year, a little less than a year ago when I started with TikTok. So that's really targeting the younger age women. So it should be even before 30. And, um, and the reason I say that is because even though we think that the initial injury happens with a vaginal birth or just even being pregnant, uh, a lot of it can begin before then, especially if they're in certain sports that are of particular um, higher rates. For example, volleyball is, a big, is the number one sport that will lead to stress incontinence later in life. And so young girls, teens, you know, uh, need to learn how to protect their pelvis. So now, what are those things that you can do? There's a lot, but I'll just name a few. Doing Kegel exercises correctly, because most of us don't know how to do it right. And I'll be the first to admit that I didn't until I really delved into my subspecialty. Uh, so learning how to do them correctly, knowing the difference between fast twitch muscle exercises and slow twitch muscle exercises, and which one's more important and, and how you do how you do them differently. 
uh, how to sit on the toilet properly. I mean, how many of us are taught to sit straight up, very prim and proper, right? That's how we're supposed to act in public. <laughs> but that is not how you should be sitting on the toilet to pee. Uh, the example, the analogy I like to use is if you have a glass um, and you have a bottle of water and you pour the, the bottle into the glass, but you only leave it to this position. If you don't go all the way, you're gonna not empty it fully. And that's what happens unless and actually, I might be able to show you my model, but unless you lean forward all the way to where your elbows are right above your kneecaps, your feet are flat on the floor. And actually, let me get my little Tina here. Uh, let's see if I can demonstrate that better. So I just took her uterus out. We did a hysterectomy just now. <laughs> fast, huh? <laughs> I'm trying to have the robot, <laughs> robot beat that. Okay, so here's the bladder. And the urethra is that little extension there to... And, okay, so um, I don't know if you can see in there. Yeah. Okay, so if, if the if Tina is sitting like this, just straight up, the bladder is in this position, watch. Right. It's in this position like this. Okay. So what, what's not being emptied? About one third of it. This, this part here is not being emptied until she bends forward and can get it all, mm. all out. Make sense? Yeah. What about standing up also to empty? Yeah, out? that's a great way to do it too. Absolutely. And uh, using, if you're out and about, you can use a pee funnel or you can be in the shower, you know, wherever. There is a way for women to do it, um, kind of like men, but it, it does take some practice, a little more work. Or you can straddle the toilet. <laughs> that's another way. Yeah, but, you know, I find that before bed, especially because because many of us wake up during the night to empty our bladder. And one of the things I try to do before bed is, you know, I, I always pee at least a couple of times before, try not to drink, of course, too much before, but also just stand up at the end and try to empty out my bladder as much as I can. So that's kind of why that came to my mind is like, yeah. okay, here's what I try to do. And sometimes it works. I mean, obviously sometimes I, most of the nights I don't have to get up to pee, but there are times when I have to get up. So yeah, well, that's good. You're getting in good practice to empty it fully, yeah. uh, which is good. Cause not only, not only does it make you have to go to the bathroom frequently and urgently because it fills up faster, right? But also, it's, it can start over time to over distend your bladder. Um, that residual urine that remains in the bladder is, is a great night is for infection because bacteria is sitting in there. And they're like, "Ooh, this is this is nice and warm." Come, and they invite other people to come, other bacteria, I mean, to come in and play with them. And so, you know, UTIs. Uh, yeah. So that that pro, you know, that that one little thing, changing how you sit on the toilet to pee, makes can make such a huge difference. And in, it's sad that we're not taught this stuff, you know, uh, how one little change could potentially prevent a lot of issues. But there are other things. Um, there, there are things such as, uh, besides drinking plenty of water that I mentioned earlier, uh, there are other exercises that you can do that are, are other than Kegels that will strengthen your pelvic floor. Uh, there are studies that actually indicated a specific um, uh, belly dance program that helps strengthen the pelvic floor muscles. And, and I have a master course where I teach that particular particular routine and it's fun, you know? And, and it's, it's done in a way that's easy enough for, for most people to be able to do, uh, you know, barring any disabilities. Let's go back for a second to the UTIs because I thought that that's fascinating to me. So basically when you're not, I'm going to repeat it because I think it's a great piece of information is when we don't empty our bladders, it leaves more 
bladder, more room, more inviting, warm, you know, warm environment for other bacteria to join, which can lead to that UTI. What are some other ways other than emptying our bladder that we can help to prevent a UTI naturally? Uh, well, there's actually a perfect supplement and I recommend this all the time on any of my patients that get recurrent UTIs. And that is called Utiva, like UTI, UTI, and then VA. Mm -hmm. And what it is, is it's very concentrated cranberry. And it's, it's a specific formulation that in that concentration has been shown to prevent UTIs. And as a matter of fact, they have studies where it prevents almost all the bacterias um, not all, but almost all. And there's not any other supplement that can, can claim that because they don't have the studies to prove it. And most of them actually only prevent maybe one of them, the mo most common one. And nowadays, shoot, there are all sorts of strains, you know, unfortunately. Uh, I see all sorts of strains because, again, that's my specialty. Uh, part of it, I should say. And uh, if it's taken, it has to be as a preventative, not as, as a treatment. So it's not something that you take when you have a UTI. Right. But if you start to have the symptoms of UTI, then you just double up to prevent it. Or if you have intercourse, then you um, take two also. And it's it's worked amazingly well for most, not everyone, but for most, if they're consistent. We've heard about cranberry for UTIs, but what is it about cranberries in particular? And it, you know, with Utiva in particular, the, is it a certain percentage of you know what it, whatever that antioxidant is in the cranberries? Yeah, so they, they uh, have this particular, um, it's called short, short for, uh, I like to say packs because it's easier than the whole long word. And what it does, it prevents the bacteria from adhering to the uh, bladder wall. But it has to be at that particular concentration and a, you know, a good source, good quality. Yeah, and I want to be clear too that a lot of people when they get a UTI or hear about it, they'll go and buy cranberry juice that's full of sugar at the store. Oh, I know that's that's the that's the worst thing you can do because the bacteria is loving more sugar. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, I'm so happy you're saying that because it's so true. And it, the key is you really like don't go buy cranberry juice full of sugar. It's not going to do it. It's just going to make it worse. And it's it, and it's okay to take it every single day, right? The Utiva supplement, like it's a yes. yes. If you get recurrencies, it's best that you take it every day. Because of how short our urethra is, three to four centimeters, there's very short distance from the vagina into the bladder. And therefore, it's very easy. Just because of our the nature of our anatomy for bladder infections to happen. And I see them a lot, too, with women that have like bidets. You know, if they don't have the water rinsing them off in the proper direction. And then that the stool or the poop bacteria starts to, to go towards the um, urethra and, and bladder, yeah. So, so wipe from front to back, very important tip, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Like we do with babies, right? With little girls, right? You might from the front to the back. Yeah. Remember, like, yeah, I, I just learned that recently because uh, I had only boys, but now I have a granddaughter, yay. <laughs> I have two girls, so I remember like always like, make sure you, know, you don't go from the other side, you go from the front to the back, so that's important. Yeah, very. Another thing that's important to take as a supplement that's um, good and natural is is uh, probiotics. Because so many times are, you know, the, the way that foods are prepared and processed and all that sort of thing, it's, it's uh, not ideal many times. And therefore, we end up clearing out a lot of our good bacteria. Or if we take antibiotics or for a number of things. And by replenishing... Um, the good bacteria, then you're protecting yourself against getting a bad bacteria or UTI tension.
I love that. And are there any specific bacterial trains, like so good at like probiotic strains that are specific for the bladder? Well, there's, there's actually, um, there's several, but they, most of them are of the lactobacillus, uh, family. Would one more tip be also, um, in order to prevent a UTI to always pee after sex? Cause I remember hearing that, you know, a long time ago. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. Very good. Got a good memory. <laughs> I just, I remember all the tips as I was going up because, um, my sister was very prone to getting UTIs. And, um, so I just remember all these, you know, discussions that we used to have to help prevent it. So. Yeah. And the reason for that is because, you know, the thrusting, um, of course, this is when we say after sex, it means penile vaginal sex. And so with the thrusting in and out motion that can track bacteria back into the bladder. So by uh, going to pee, then uh, then that allows to flush some of that through. Now, another another protective mechanism we have, and that's in women who have or um ejaculation is that uh that we actually produce uh something called psa like in men prostatic um sperm antigen specific antigen and our skein's glands which lie on either side of the urethra just lateral to it they're the ones that produce that uh fluid that contains some of the psa hmm. and uh that's actually protective for us uh, against UTIs. So I, I want to go back for a second to prolapse because I think that's a, it's something that many of us might be newer to uh, perimenopause or menopause. You know, uh, prolapse is when it starts to fall, right? I think you had mentioned that earlier before that it starts, things start to kind of go south. How do we know other than feeling it, heaviness in the vaginal area, how would we know if we had a prolapse anything? Yeah, that's a very good question. Most women don't know unless it was incidentally noted at their annual uh, exam, uh, or they start having some of the problems like, you know, overactive bladder, frequent UTIs, or, um, you know, incontinence, then they'll get a little more detailed exam. And it's not always something that's found uh, early, even if you're having routine exams, because you actually have to, uh, the patient has to do certain maneuvers. So you need to cough when the speculum, when half the speculum is in there to see if there's a descent or, or push like you have, you're trying to poop or something like that. So specific maneuvers need to be done to really identify and correctly diagnose it. So in terms of what you feel, it's, you're probably not going to feel a whole lot until it's gotten to where it's low and you see or feel a bulge. Because uh, most of the time it's pretty asymptomatic, unless you're having difficulty emptying your bladder or all the other symptoms that we've talked about. But not everyone gets those symptoms when they have prolapse. So it, it is something that that uh, you know you can directly, uh, if you're wondering, if you're prone. Okay, if you're someone who has the risk factors. For example, I have risk factors for it. I had three vaginal births. I was an avid exerciser, and I'm talking about the kind of pounding, you know, running exercise that I used to do a lot and heavy weightlifting, uh, and I have a family history, okay? So I have three uh, or four risk factors for it. Then there's others, things like cigarette smoking, uh, having had big babies uh, and, and pushing for a long time, being overweight, obese. Uh, and, you know, there's some women that don't have any risk factor except they, like they never had any babies, they're normal weight, et cetera. But um, genetically, they just got the, the poor collagen. So therefore, um, you know, just trying to, if, if you know you're someone that has those risk factors, being direct and, and telling your provider, could you check, you know, can, can I cough or can I demonstrate if, 
if can you see if I have early signs of prolapse or something of that nature? Yeah. You mentioned collagen and I know you talked about it off the top too. So would you recommend taking a collagen every day? I know as we get into menopause, we lose 30% of our collagen within, within the first five years, which is a unbelievable stat to me. Yeah. You know? So like on top of the 1% that we've lost since the age of 21. So <laughs> would you recommend taking collagen now for our skin, obviously for our bones, but now I'm thinking for our vaginas, like um, what you were talking about, right? So it helps that too. So you recommend that? So it depends on the type. I, I don't, I use one specific one and I recommend that specific one because they have studies to back it up in terms of what it actually does. And um, it, it's, it's in combination with vitamin D and calcium. So it's the three, calcium, vitamin D and the collagen. And the studies show that it improved hair, skin and nails by 13%. So therefore, because I have that data to back it up, that's why I recommend it. Uh, other colleges I can't address because I haven't actually researched them, but I would say yes, if you have a good quality one. Amazing. Most of the, most of the surgeries that you're conducting, would it be to, when you talk about reconstructive, is it lifting the bladder? Is it hysterectomies? What is it that you're particular, like when you are in surgery two days a week, I think you had mentioned, are, what are you doing most of the time? Everything that you just said. And, and then some, okay. So we'll start off with prolapse, then we'll address bladder dysfunction, then we'll address bowel dysfunction. And uh, so, and pain actually, I mean, pretty much all the five areas that I cover, uh, I can potentially operate on. So prolapse, you can have a prolapsed bladder, prolapsed rectum, prolapsed uterus, or if the uterus is gone, the prolapsed top of the vagina where it used to be. Um, and, and then what's called a perineus seal. Perineum is area between the vagina and the rectum, and those muscles that get pulled apart, uh, especially when you're pregnant, just like you do your rectus of abdominals, um, get uh, pulled apart. But they tend to come back a little bit better than in the pelvic area because we're always standing on it and doing all sorts of things with it. And therefore, all this stress and strain over time keeps them so they don't always necessarily come back together. So that is one of the areas that I fix, and that's called a perineorphy or perineoplasty. And that basically will make the diameter uh, smaller, the entry. Then, so for bladder, yes, I would then do some, um, depending on the degree of the prolapse, I would either do it transvaginally or robotically, lift it up, same thing with the rectum. Uh, and the uterus, uh, if she still wants babies, of course, I don't take the uterus out. That maintains and we lift the uterus up. If she's done childbearing, then you do hysterectomy and lift up, lift up the vagina that's left when you, at the time of the hysterectomy. Okay, so that's prolapse. Then we have incontinence. So if it's uh, bladder incontinence of stress type, the gold standard treatment is to put, put a sling. So it's like a little hammock that goes under the urethra and it kinks the urethra every time she exerts herself, coughing, sneezing, laughing, et cetera. And then if it's urge incontinence, there's a couple of, uh, of surgical procedures that you could do. So this is after you know, you've, you've tried medication because stress incontinence does not respond to medicine. Pelvic floor therapy is always gonna be the first treatment. Uh, then, um, so back to the urge incontinence or uh, overactive bladder. If, if they fail medication, then you can do either Botox. And that sounds, many, when, when I mention it to women, they're like, what? <laughs> so just like the, the, that neurotoxin paralyzes the muscle in your, in your facial area, which is the most common place to, to place it. it. Same thing in the bladder. So instead of the, the bladder constantly over uh, contracting, 
being overactive, it reduces that overactivity because we don't paralyze the whole muscle. We we do, you know, injections throughout, but not the entirety so that it still functions. <laughs> and one of the potential side effects can be that, that you can't pee. So then you would have to catheterize yourself, but that would be temporary because it only lasts six months. And then the, uh, the other uh, option for the overactive bladder would be a nerve stimulator because the bladder functions by nerves and muscles. And uh, we do a test to see if it's actually the case. We put a little lead in through uh, her back uh, under x-ray guidance, and it goes into the exit point of the nerve. So our, our nerves come out laterally out of these spinal columns. So it doesn't go into the spinal column. It has four little electrodes. It's kind of like a pacemaker, but for the bladder. Uh, and it also works for bowel incontinence, which is amazing. That is, It's been uh, amazing for that which I am so thrilled because that's pretty embarrassing for women. It makes such a life change for them. Anyway, so this lead goes into her back to the nerves and it sends those electrical impulses. She wears it for two weeks. And if in that the course of the two weeks she's at least 50% improvement, then we know that it's a nerve problem. And so we come back and put a little battery and it goes under the skin of the upper buttocks. And uh, it's got a battery life of uh, 15 years, which is, which is really great. And then, uh, you know, it, it, just the battery has to be changed out that during that uh, time frame. Um, and then there's also something that I don't do as much, which is um, uh, doing tibial nerve stimulation. So the tibial nerve, you know, the lower leg bone, you place these um, external electrodes so they're not internally implanted. Uh, and they send also electrical impulses but that, that has to be done in the office and you have to come every week for like 12 weeks. Um, and they're coming up with newer stuff that's in the process, which is exciting. But um, so that's uh, gonna treat overactive bladder or urge incontinence and the bowel incontinence. It also teaches, it also treats incomplete emptying. So she has uh, an inability to empty and it's not related to the, the bladder falling, right? it's not an anatomical pr uh, problem, it's a nerve problem, then, then we put that in for that reason. Uh, then we have, um, if it's pelvic pain, depends on what, what the pain is from. So she has endometriosis, then I go in and find it, remove the endometriosis, or if she's done with childbearing, then I go ahead and, and do a hysterectomy if she's wanting to do that. Uh, or uh, other causes are gonna be fibroids, adenomyosis, but you know, I can go on and on with pelvic pain. <laughs> so uh, let's see, pelvic pain, sexual dysfunction. Sexual dysfunction is, is kind of um, not necessarily, how can I say, if, if, if she has a lot of vaginal looseness because of the prolapse, then there, there uh, is a good chance that uh, that will be better if I, if I do end up causing the diameter of the vagina to be reduced because then there's more frictional forces during, during sex. Right. But it's not the indication for it. It's, the indication is prolapse. But it, as a result, you might improve uh, sexual function. Do you recommend that women get a, an annual ultrasound, vaginal ultrasound? No, no. Um, you know, cost effectively, it's not cost effective. Um, would I like that? That'd be nice. But because then, you know, maybe we could find ovarian cancer earlier. Uh, not that that's the way to find it, but that's commonly the way that it's found. And it, unfortunately, it's found usually at a late stage, typically like stage three or more. It's hard to find it early unless it was found kind of incidentally. Mm -hmm. So yeah, or if there's a family history, so you're doing surveillance with, you know, tumor marker testing and stuff like that.
So cost aside though, like let's say, let's say cost wasn't an issue. Uh -huh. And you would say that would be a good tool if, you know. If they have ovaries, yeah. They have ovaries, yeah. Okay, thank you. Is there anything that we didn't talk about? I know there's probably so much more that we could cover, but um, you know, is there anything that you feel related to the bladder or to the vagina that we didn't talk about today that you would want to get part of your education? I know you're so passionate about educating women. And by the way, I just have to, I was on your website, which we're going to put under your name, with under your name. And I love that you were saying you were, your, your goal and your passion is to educate people and put yourself out of a job. So I thought that was <laughs> awesome when I was reading that. I'm like, I love hearing that because it just shows me how passionate you are about helping women. And we love women like you thank you thank you i i yeah i love it i love it so what can i say more well there's a lot like you said but one thing that that actually sparked a thought was the fact that you were asking about the ultrasound and talking about cancer and when part of the workup whenever a woman does come in to see me for prolapse or incontinence or bladder dysfunction i order an ultrasound now that's not the standard of care and here's my reasoning for doing it it's because there's a small chance, and unfortunately I have found this way too often, that there can be a tumor that's causing these issues, that's pushing on the bladder or that's pushing on the rectum. And that is my reason to order it. And, and I, because then I'm gonna say, oh, we gotta jump on this. We're not gonna wait to see if pelvic floor helps, pelvic floor therapy helps, you know? Right. That's, um, yeah, just a little aside. <laughs> Dr. Irwin, I would love to have you back on because I'd love to talk about hysterectomies. I, I, we're doing a series called Her Story, which is about women who have undergone hysterectomies. I'd love to hear from you and your experience in terms of you're doing them all the time. So we would love to interview and have you back. You've been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for being on our show today. We really appreciate what you're doing and how you're helping to educate women. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me, Andrea. I appreciate it. What an amazing interview with Dr. Irwin. I love how she provided simple tips, yet effective, that we can do to help with our reproductive organs as well as our bladder health. If you got value out of today's video, please share it because the more you share, it shows you care. Please leave any questions you have in the comments below. We'll be sure to answer them and we'll ask Dr. Teresa if we don't know how, if she can help us answer them too. And we will also put links to everything she talked about in the section below. If you're listening on the podcast, we'll make sure that we put it in the show notes as well. Please subscribe to our channel if you haven't already and hit that notification bell so that you are notified every single time we have a new Morpheus video. Thanks for watching everyone. Stay well and we'll see you next time.